welcome to our midweek time of prayer and devotion with Crosslands Baptist Church. I am Pastor Seth, and I'm thankful that you are joining with us either live or maybe listening a little bit later on. Uh, it's always a blessing to be able to share with you from God's Word some encouragement, and I hope to do that tonight. I sent out an update today related to our current COVID situation. As you know, we've been blessed as a church to be able to meet now uh, for three months. We're already into our fourth month of meeting, and uh, we've been able to work through that uh, successfully, and we thank God for every Sunday that we're able to meet and, and don't have any issues, and we want to be careful about that as we move forward. But as you also know, uh, things have not been trending real well here in our county, and uh, it's a little bit confusing with all the different metrics and things that are being put out. Uh, but basically what we're watching is the return to school. And once school can get back in successfully, then we're going to begin to add some things back, uh, starting with our Sprouts ministry and then moving into some of our adult ministries. Uh, be a little bit of a lag time just to make sure that uh, everything kicks off as it should. So... Uh, please continue to pray, continue to join with us on Sunday morning in person if you're able to do that or uh, continue online. Uh, we're glad that you're gathering with us in that way and the Lord will see us through and things will get markedly better in the near future. I'm confident that that's going to be the case. So just hang on and, and hold on and, and uh, we'll trust the Lord that things are going to get better here in the near future. I was preparing tonight to launch into a new study, and I was praying and thinking about what I wanted that study to be, and I landed on uh, the Minor Prophets and the book of Hosea. But as you know, if you've read Hosea, it is multi-layered, and I was not as adequately prepared uh, to do that uh, in the way that I would want to, so I decided I was going to delay for another week. Uh, we'll launch into the book of Hosea uh, next Wednesday evening, uh, but for tonight we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, it's a passage that I've preached before uh, from a couple of different angles over the years, but I want to return to tonight in this chapter as we think about what it means to find your focus. Let's pray together and then uh, we'll get into the Bible study for tonight. Father, we thank you for the day that you've blessed us with. I'm sure it's been filled with uh, challenges as well as uh, some victories along the way, I hope. And uh, Lord, you're faithful to sustain us. And uh, we do continue to pray in these circumstances that we're in. And uh, they're so different than what any of us have experienced. And we're just continuing to trust in you and looking forward with hope and anticipation and we know that things are going to improve, but in the meantime, we ask that you would uh, give us strength and endurance, help us to learn the lessons that you want us to learn spiritually, and to be prepared for what you're going to do as we come out of all of this. Uh, we do pray for those that are, are not well uh, in our community, uh, the health care workers that are taking care of them, and uh, everybody that's involved with making decisions and trying to figure out what's best uh, to get through uh, this, this difficult time. And Lord, I thank you for our, our church family and the faithfulness of it and just how they've uh, stayed connected and uh, been generous in their giving and in their prayers. 
And Lord, as you undergird us, may we be reminded that all that we have comes from you and uh, our hope is secure in you. And for that, we're thankful. Uh, we pray now that you bless our Bible study together from Philippians chapter 3 and make it a time that would be encouraging and also helpful for us in our focus. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean to find your focus? Uh, we all know that we live in a very distracted world. Uh, there's an illusion that we can multitask effectively and do many things well at once. Uh, I don't know about you, but I struggle to do one thing well at once a lot of the time. And I find that when I dilute my efforts that I tend not to do anything very well. Uh, but at any rate, we have to determine what's important to us and learn how to focus and find that focus so that we can accomplish what we've been called to accomplish. Uh, there's a book by an author named Cal Newport. It's a secular book. It's a business book. It's a productivity book. So it's not a Christian book at all, really. There are some very secular psychological principles in there, so I'm not endorsing the book wholesale, but I will endorse the book from a philosophical perspective. And he talks in there about deep work. And the subtitle of the book is Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. Now, he defines deep work in this way. He says, professional activities performed in a state of distraction, distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive capabilities to their limit. These efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. Conversely, he defines shallow work as non-cognitively demanding logistical style tasks often performed while distracted. These efforts tend to not create much new value in the world, and they are easy to replicate. He says deep work is necessary to wring every last drop of value of your current intellectual capacity. He says, if you spend enough time in a shallow state of frantic uh, shallowness, then you're going to permanently reduce your capacity to perform deep work. And I would concur with that. Uh, we're constantly being pulled in different directions in life. And if we get distracted and we're not really going deep in anything, we're not probably going to excel at much of anything either. And I think this principle applies not only to secular work and to the business world, I think it applies also to our spiritual lives and to our spiritual focus. The letter to the church at Philippi was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And it is a letter of joy. Uh, it is a reminder of the hope that we have in Christ and how he sustains us along the way. And Paul wrote to his friends uh, in Philippi in what was a difficult time for him. It was the first church that he had founded in Macedonia. And the message revolves around the significance of the joy of knowing Christ and living for him. And Paul identifies knowing Christ and living for him really as the central purpose for everything that the believer would do. So I want to read uh, chapter 3. It's a little bit long, but I think it'll be uh, spiritually beneficial for us. And then I'm going to come back to the middle part of the chapter in the time that we have remaining. 
Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, uh, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is the law, blameless. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, watch this, as rubbish, as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, and being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now verse 12, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the, those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have, have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is from heaven. It's in heaven, verse 20 from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You'll notice the phrase in verse 10, that I may know him, that I may know Christ. Now to know Christ obviously involves propositional truth, uh, head knowledge, if you will, but it involves much more than that. Knowing about something has value and vitality, but knowing something personally is different. How do you get to know the people who are the most important to you, who are the closest to you? You spend time with them, you learn their ways, you know how they will react in certain situations. You experience the ordinary things of life together, and you get to know somebody that you care about. You can know Christ 
by experiencing life in complete dependence on him. Let me say that again. You can know Christ by experiencing life in complete dependence on him. Paul writes this one thing that I do in verse 13. He makes reference to a laser-like focus of what I would call a single-minded pursuit. This is the one thing that I do. He doesn't say these are the many things that I dabble in. People that succeed in anything have a single-minded pursuit. If you see people who excel in their vocation, it's because they've decided that they're going to focus on something and be particularly excellent in it. If you see an athlete that exceeds in what he's doing or she's doing, that athlete will be someone who is determined to focus on what it is that is the challenge before them. Spiritually, we need to live with a focused determination to live in the fullness of Christ day by day. So how can we focus on Christ? Well, I want to suggest some ways that we can do that that we'll find here in chapter 3. The first way that we can focus on Christ is that we can learn from the past, but move on from it. Learn from the past, but move on from it. He says in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, I think the reference here of learning from the past, but moving on from it and forgetting those things which are behind can refer to those things that are both good and bad from the past. So uh, interestingly, Paul begins with those things which would have generally been considered good from his past. Those things that he could have claimed for his own personal credit or acclaim. In fact, if you look back in verse 5 and what begins to unfold there, he talks about being circumcised. That's a reference to the old covenant. He was of the nation of Israel part of God's chosen people. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. That was one of the most prominent tribes. He was a Pharisee, which was the ruling class. He was zealous for the law. After the Lord saved him and redeemed him, Paul pioneered mission work. If you look at the unfolding of his missionary journeys and what he was able to accomplish by the power of the Holy Spirit. He evangelized Arabia and Tarsus and Cilicia and Syria and Antioch. And he founded a string of churches in Galatia and he planted thriving churches in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica and Corinth. Paul could have looked back at all that and said, look, I had the heritage as being part of the chosen people. The Lord saved me, and now I want you to know all the great things that I've done. I'm the chief missionary. I'm the most wonderful church planter of all time. You need to look at what my credentials are. And in fact, that's what many of us would do if we were in that circumstance. We would draw attention to self. We would look to the past, and we would take the credit for whatever good has come about in our lives, even if it's in a false sense of humility, giving credit to God, but really taking the credit for ourselves. But what does Paul say? He says, I count all those things as rubbish. They're, they're ultimately nothing on their own. The things behind may be positive, but even the best things that we have to fall back on are rubbish compared to our relationship 
with Christ. We also have things behind us that may be negative, that may hold us back from serving God. Well, I got good news for you. Through grace, we're not held back by our past sins and our failures. We're not held back by our disobedience or the things that we've done wrong in the past. By grace, those things are covered under the cross. Here was Paul. After all, he had been a persecutor of the church. I mean, the man was present when Stephen was stoned to death. And when the Lord Jesus stood up at the right hand of God the Father in heaven and received Stephen into his presence because they had killed him for his faith, Paul was there. He had brought havoc on the church, going so far as to enter into houses and drag Christian men and women off and commit them to prison. You remember Jesus when he encountered Paul on the road to Damascus and appeared to him there as an apostle out of due time. He asked Paul, uh, Saul, as he was referred to then, why are you persecuting me? So here was a man who had the track record of persecuting Jesus himself. In fact, he was so bad when he first came to Christ that the people in the church were afraid of him. And don't you think that the spiritual enemy from time to time might have leaned over and whispered in old Paul's ear, who do you think you are? Don't you remember what you did? Why do you think you have any credibility in serving God? But here's the beauty of the gospel. Through repentance and faith, God forgives your past and he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west to be brought up no more. The accuser of the brethren may bring up your past. He may bring up your failures. He may bring up your brokenness. He may bring up your shortcomings, but God doesn't do that. When God sets you free, you are free indeed. And you can learn from the past, be it good or bad, and you can move on from it. The second way that you can focus on Christ is that you can live in the present and make the most of it. I want you to look again here at verse 12. Paul says, I, I, I've not already attained, I'm, I'm not already perfected, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now, I don't think the Christian life is intended to be lived passively. Christ takes hold of your life so that you can know him. I love the passage of scripture in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 and following. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I think Paul realized that while he wanted to take hold of all that Christ is, he had not fully taken hold of the significance of Christ. He wanted to experience Christ to the point that he had overcome every single obstacle and sin that would have otherwise hindered him. Now think about Paul. 
he at one point was caught up to what's referred to in the scripture as the third heaven in a vision that was given to him and he was in a position where he was shown sights that were so glorious that God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble and yet here he is with this desire to know Christ even though he had seen the the veil of heaven pulled back the curtain pulled back just a little bit and he had been able to stick his head inside and see what heaven is like he still knew that there was more for him to know and I wonder do we have that kind of eagerness about our relationship with Christ what's distracting you from living in the present and making the most of it you're either moving forward and gaining ground spiritually or you're losing ground there's no such thing as neutral in the Christian life. And that's why he says here in verse 14, I press toward the goal. To press toward the goal is to run after it. It's to follow after it. It's to use all of your spiritual muscles, if you will. And it takes commitment to press toward the goal. And here's Paul. He wants to know the one who is good and patient and kind and helpful. And he wants to live in the present and make the most of it. There's a third way that you can focus on Christ, and that is you can look to the future and anticipate it. Look to the future and anticipate it. Verse 13 again, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Uh, the metaphor of uh, running a race is used in the Scripture. And I think the illustration that is used both here and uh, elsewhere by Paul is the, the idea of a runner who is leaning forward, who is determined, who is giving it his all. He's got his whole body involved. Every last ounce of energy is involved. And he's focused on finishing the race. And in athletics, a runner can fix his eyes on a point that is ahead so that he can successfully arrive at his destination. You ever seen a runner in uh, football, for example, that is uh, headed down the field and maybe he's out in front of the defenders, but uh, he, he can sense that there's some footsteps coming behind him. So what does he do? He takes a little quick look to look behind him to see how close they are behind him. And you know what usually happens when they do that? If you're, if you're not fast enough not to worry about looking behind you and you turn around to look behind you, that usually means you're about a step or two from being caught. And that's what normally happens. If you take your eye off of what you're doing for just a moment and you don't stay focused, then it can cost you. I was watching a ball game this past weekend and the receiver was uh, running down the field wide open. I mean, wide open. I, I, it's possible I might could have caught the ball in that situation. And he's in the end zone when the ball arrives. And at the very last second, he, he darts his eyes up to check to see how close he is from the end line in the end zone. The ball hits him in the hands, and he just totally drops it. This is how important focus really is. This is how significant it is that we don't take our eyes off of the ball. And the goal, here spiritually speaking, uh, is the things which are ahead. 
And what is the ultimate goal in the, in the Christian life? It's to be like Christ. That, that's, that's God's express will for you to, to be like Jesus. That you be conformed to the image of his will. And the way that that can happen is as you run a good race and you realize that the Lord himself was going to give you the prize for running faithfully. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? One receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus now with uncertainty. Uh, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest when I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, I don't think Paul's referencing there gaining salvation by some type of works in any regard. He makes it clear there's only one gospel, and that's the gospel of grace received through repentance and faith. But he's saying we want to run in such a way that we honor our Lord and that we are blessed as a result of it. You know where the finish line is? It's the threshold of heaven. That's the finish line. And did you know none of us know when we're going to cross the threshold from this life into eternity? If we're in Christ and we know him, we've got so much to look forward to, so much to hope for. But if you don't know Jesus Christ by faith, then you have everything to fear. You have everything to worry about. You have everything to be concerned with. So it's important for us to understand that knowing Christ secures our eternal destination, and then it gives us purpose for the here and now as we run this race that, that the Lord has us on. But there's a finish line that is coming when we'll be in the presence of the Lord. Notice again what verse 20 says. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that in our heavenly home, the walls are built with jasper and the gates are made with pearl? There is a rainbow-circled throne, a crystal stream, foundations ablaze with gems there are many dwelling places in my father's house the tree of life is there did you know that when we cross that threshold from this life into heaven we'll be in a place where there are no viruses there's no hospitals there's no prisons there are no retirement homes there's no funeral homes there's no tears none of that and that's where our citizenship is if we're in Christ. But here's the best part of it all. And I'm looking forward to all that. But here's the best part of it all. God himself rules and reigns from heaven. And the greatest treasure of all will be that what we have known and believed in and experienced in this life by faith, we will know and experience in eternity by sight. And it'll all come into living color like never before. The Lord came to this earth and people mocked him and crowned him with thorns and 
nailed him to a tree. He died and was buried in a barred tomb. He was raised triumphantly from the grave. But the Bible says it promises that he is coming back again soon, and we look forward to him coming. We eagerly wait for him. We anticipate the things that are to come. And notice the next part of the promise in verse 21. He will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So not only have we been redeemed, we're going to be renewed and we're going to be glorified and we're going to be like Jesus. That's what we're leaning into in this race God's called us to in this life. And that's what we're longing for. That's what awaits us. So in the meantime, we learn from the past, but we move on from it. We live in the present, and we make the most of it. We look to the future, and we anticipate it. And we live as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And we await the return of Jesus in the meantime. That's the hope. And that's the promise. Let me pray with you, and then I'm going to make uh, some concluding comments. Father, we thank you tonight for these promises in your word. I'm grateful for uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which, uh, who led uh, Paul to uh, record these words for us, these words of joy, that we might know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, and that we might live life with purpose. I pray for anybody under the sound of my voice that might not know the Lord. I pray that they would, in this moment, say yes to Jesus, securing not only their eternal destiny, but receiving forgiveness of sins and, a, and eternal life in the here and now, and a purpose to live by. Christ, may we desire to know you more and more and not be distracted. Help us to focus. Help us to fight for our focus so that we can stick with the things that truly matter and make a difference for eternity. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you'll gather with us again on Sunday. Again, uh, we have our 8.15 a.m. senior adult uh, service and others who may have uh, health concerns. Uh, 9.30 and 10.50 are live stream and in person. And uh, we've been having good response to those, but there's still plenty of room to spread out if you'd like to join us. And then the students are meeting on uh, Sunday evenings as well for the Vine Student Ministry. And uh, as you continue to join us online, I hope you're encouraged by what you're hearing and, and know that we know you're there and that we're praying for you along the way. And let us know if there's any way we can pray for you specifically. Have a great rest of your evening and uh, a great rest of your week. Lord bless you.